0: Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us here at Radiant Life Church on the Facebook Live. Maybe you're watching on YouTube, maybe you're watching on the live.radiantlife.church uh, platform. This is a little bit different morning, right? Usually I'm back here, I'm behind the guitar, I'm the worship arts pastor here at Radiant Life. Once a year they throw me a bone and they let me do this. So I don't know, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. Usually I just sing and play. So let's let's just roll with this and see what happens. We're in the middle of a series called SWAT, Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. And this is week seven. You know, when we first started this series, we we talked about spiritual battles, right? That all of us are facing spiritual battles in life. And they're coming from a heavenly place, a place that is outside of time and space as we know it. It's not against the people around us. Uh, The second week, we talked about the belt of truth. You know, how we need to to have the, the word of God as truth in our lives, Then in week three, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. It was really about identity that we, in Christ, have this right standing before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Week four, Brandon shared with us, he talked all about the boots or the shoes of peace. What does it mean to be a person who lives at peace with others? You know, the scriptures say, as much as as possible with you, be at peace with everyone. Uh, And then we talked about the shield of faith. Pastor Josh uh, was talking about belief and faith in the scriptures. What does it mean to guard our lives by belief in Jesus? And even to specifically stop those fiery darts of the enemy. And then last week, Pastor Ryan talked about the helmet of salvation. If you haven't watched that message, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that message, the helmet of salvation Probably one of my favorite messages in this series so far. But this series is based in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And this week, we're going to talk about the very last piece of armor. The sword of the spirit. Isn't this a cool graphic? Pastor Ryan provided these graphics for us just a uh, Uh, I think it's super cool that we have this stuff that we can share with you guys in presentations like this. It takes a lot of work. Ryan works really hard. If you you would say in the comments right now, thanks, Pastor Ryan, because he does. He works really hard as a pastor. So we're going to talk about the sword of the spirit. But first what I want to do is I want to read through the same text that we've been reading every week. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I want you to keep this word in your back pocket. Schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... The sword of the spirit. Now I feel like this message is pretty easy for me because the scriptures say, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I think I can go ahead and put the clicker down and we could just call it good, right? It's the Bible, right? The sword of the spirit is this beautiful black and white portrait of who God is from Genesis to Revelation. It's 66 books of the Bible, uh, old and New Covenant, Old and New Testament, this is a weapon. It's something that we can use to not only defend ourselves, but to actually go on the offense for God. But what I want to do first, before we even talk about the Spirit, of the Sword of the Spirit, excuse me, I want to go back to the very first verse in this text. Look at this in Ephesians 6.11. I was talking with Josh and and Ryan and Brandon this week about this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's the point of the entire armor of God. All the pieces that we've been learning about each week leading up to the sword of the Spirit is so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. I got to thinking, what does this word schemes mean? You know, depending on what Bible you're reading, it could be the word wiles. It could be tricks, right? We we'll get a little bit uh, wordy here. The word "schemes" is the word "methodia." Methodia. What do you think that word means? Methods, right? The methodology of the enemy, right? Wiles, lying in wait. When I think of someone lying in wait, I think of like a like a murderer in a dark alley, just like waiting to peek out and kill someone, right? That's the devil's schemes. He's there. He's waiting. And the armor of God is a way for us to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the methods or the trickery of the enemy. But how do we do that? How do we fight against the devil's schemes? How do we do this? Can we just like uh, play some Bible roulette and just like. But Jesus wasn't finished with them. I literally just did that. Don't even know what that would mean for right now. But did it work? No, it didn't. How do we fight against the devil's schemes? Well, we can make it really simple. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. So we know the word of God is part of this armor that causes us to fight. That allows us to stand against what the devil's doing in our lives. Seeing the methods that he's, that he's trying to kill us with. So I wanna get really fast here in this this next slide, so stay with me. If you need to pause the video to write these down, here's some things we know about the word of God. We know that the word of God is sufficient. 2 Timothy 2, 3, 16, and 17. We're gonna look at this verse more in the future. Romans 10, 17, it's gonna grow your faith. If you're struggling with believing in who God is, the word of God, the sword of the spirit is going to increase your faith. In Psalms 119.11, we learn that it gives us power over sin. Like if you're struggling with sin, you're you're getting your butt kicked every week by this particular thing that you're fighting. You need power over sin. It's found in the word of God. We're going to talk about that. Revelation 2. It's a little cut off right there, but that's okay. Standard of judgment. The word of God is the standard of judgment. That word hurts us, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit more. We're going to unpack what that actually means. We can't make up our own standards. We don't get to pick and choose what God says. Last, the Bible gives us clarity, Hebrews 4.12. We're going to talk more about this. Look at this. The Bible is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, just like I'm trying to do right now. Rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that we need is found in the Bible. Does that mean that God doesn't use outside sources to minister to us? Of course he does, but only if it lines up with this. Only if it lines up with this. The word of God grows your faith. Look at what Romans 10:17 says. Faith comes by hearing the message or the word of God, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So if you want to grow your faith, you can grow your faith in God by simply reading the Bible, right? It provides power over sin. Look at what David says, Psalm 119.11. If you want to read a chapter of the Bible that absolutely just glorifies and magnifies the word of God, spend some time in Psalm 119. It's all about the word of God. It's all about the word of God. Look at what David says. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David has spent time in the word and it has given him power to not sin against God. Now we know David, right? <laughs> he didn't do real well, did he? He premeditatively killed someone after he slept with his, the dude's wife. Not a, not a good track record. But he was still a man after God's own heart. He was quick to admit what he did wrong. Look, it's the standard of judgment, guys, In the end, this is two verses. This is Revelation 2, 12, and 16. And listen to what it said. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Speaking of Jesus, when he comes back to the earth, he has a sharp, two-edged sword. And look at what he says. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against you with them. The sword is going to come out of his mouth, it says. The word is going to come out of his mouth. Now, do I physically think a, a, like a glistening silver sword is going to shoot out of Jesus' mouth? No, no. It'd be kind of cool though. Yeah, for sure. No, I think what he's going to do is just like he spoke the word in the beginning, sun, be, moon, exist. Oceans, you go here. Stars, you go here. And they did it. They obeyed. I think the word, the sword of the spirit that comes out of the mouth of Jesus in the last days is gonna be the judgment. I gave you a chance. I gave you an opportunity. I reached out to you. I gave you a chance. The word of God brings us clarity. For the word of God is alive, it's active. And look at this, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's like we just read that in Revelation, right? It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. I don't even know if I know the difference between my soul and my spirit. But the Word of God gets into that place. It, it's, it divides joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. The Bible brings clarity. It brings all these things to us. If we'll just read it. Check this guy out. I want everybody right now say Ignaz. One more time. Ignaz. This is Ignaz Semmelweis. He was a Hungarian doctor. And he kind of sucked at being a doctor. And so at that time... If you sucked at being a doctor, sadly, this is where they would put you. They'd put you with the midwives in the obstetrics wing. That's what happened to this guy. They threw him in the obstetrics wing, but he also worked on autopsies, right? He would, uh, he would examine cadavers in the morgue and, and determine the cause of death and so forth. So Ignaz Semmelweis, he's in this obstetrics ward, and he starts noticing that the rate of mortality in the hospital he's working in is 10%. Like 10% of the mothers and babies born are dying. For those of you that know anything about the medical world, that sucks. That's a really bad statistic. That's not good at all. So he started figuring out, or he's asking the question, what's wrong here? So he had these two groups of people. He had these midwives... That would help deliver the babies, and then he would have these other co-doctors who worked in the morgue and also delivered babies. You all catching what's about to happen here? So at this time, guys, they had no idea in the world. We didn't know what germs were. We only thought that germs were in the air. This is the mid-1800s, 1840. We only thought germs were in the air. So COVID has taught us that germs are like wherever. I mean, I think they're like... We don't know. They're in the air. They're on our masks. They're like uh, on a thing I touched 13 years ago. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Am I being a little crass? I'm sorry. <laughs> Boo, COVID. Can we say that in the in the comments? Ignaz Semmelweis started realizing when the midwives would go and deliver these babies, no babies died, no moms died. Then he noticed when his coworkers were down in the morgue and hands inside of a dead body, and also at this time doctors didn't wash their hands. He they'd go and check out the dead body, and then they'd go deliver a baby. And there's some kind of personal things that happen when you deliver a baby. Um, And he had this idea: something is wrong here. I think that the guys that are are down in the morgue they need to dip their hands in a chloride solution. So, because I think there's something on their hands that's getting into the, the baby's bloodstream, it's getting into the mother's bloodstream and killing them. Sure enough, he puts this bowl of chloride right outside the morgue. These doctors start putting their hands in this chloride and the mortality rate starts going down, right? He discovered something right when there was something wrong, There was something really wrong. Guys, it took like 30 to 40 years for the medical industry to believe him. They thought he was crazy. Meanwhile, people are dying and dying. And and not to mention, we could even go back into the dark ages. They thought that it was all spirits. You guys know where the, the phrase God bless you came from? It came from the septicemic and pneumonic plagues that swept through Europe, killed like 60 million people. When you would sneeze, they thought a demon was coming out to kill you. And so they'd say, God bless you. Because they didn't want that demon to get inside them. They had no they had no idea about airborne, droplets, particulate, all that kind of stuff. So Ignaz discovered this, and lives were saved, right? So I want to ask you this question: How do we, as Christians, and if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching right now in real life, how do you know what's right from wrong? How do we know? How do I know that murder is wrong? How do I know that it's not okay to put your knee on a man's neck and choke him to death until he dies? How do I know? Why can't I do that? Why isn't it okay for me to go and have sex with whoever I want that isn't my wife? Why isn't it okay for me to cheat? Why? Why is it okay for me to to come to your house with my my handgun and steal your possessions? How do I know what's right and wrong? Why isn't it okay for me to lie to you? Why isn't that okay? How do we know right from wrong? Well, you might say my parents taught me or, you know, culture teaches us. You know, some cultures, this is okay, this isn't. I think it comes down to the sword you're carrying, the knife that you're carrying. Is the sword you're carrying whatever or is it the word of God? God. And not only are you carrying the right knife or the right sword, but you need a sharp knife, right? Check this out. Come over here, and I want to show you something. Watch this. So, if I take this knife right here and I take this sword—now, sword, this knife here. Now, let's see what happens here. I'm going to keep my. Okay. Uh. Yeah. That kind of. Yeah, let's throw that one out there. Let's go ahead and get rid of that one. Let's try this one. Now, you saw what happened when I used that knife. Watch this. Do you see that? Look how sharp that is. Right? Look at that. I had to cut through uh, the uh, top there. But watch this. Watch how I cut this. You could put that on your, your hamburger. Right? That's ready. There's a difference between having a sharp knife and a dull knife. And so let's ask ourselves this question. If we know we need a knife, we know we need a knife that's based upon the word of God, and we know that we need a sharp knife, what makes a knife dull? You saw this knife. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what made this knife dull. Brandon Fish and Brandon Kinsey and I, earlier today, I took an angle grinder with, uh, what is it, Brandon? A flat disc, he says. He says, And I just took that bad boy right across this thing. So that's what made that one dull. What makes our knives dull? Like how do we get our sense of what's right and wrong? Are we inquisitive like Ignaz Semmelweis and we want to figure out, hey, I see something wrong in culture. Here's here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things. What does that actually mean? Here's the number one thing that I think is affecting us in the world right now and I think it's media. I am, if you guys have been watching my ad eights, sometimes I've been having a bad attitude. I am so sick and tired of media. I'm talking news sources, the stuff people are barfing and puking out on Facebook. I'm tired of it. I, I, I just can't take it. It's, it's one of those things. It's a poison. You guys feel poisoned? Sometimes you read an article or you hear a talking head, a pundit on TV and you feel kind of sick I think the media, which is part of the world as we understand it, is poisoning us. It's dulling our knife. So the world, the flesh, the Bible talks about the flesh. That just means our human uh, bodies comprised of our hearts, our spirits. I think another thing that dulls is our feelings. Now, feelings aren't bad. Don't get me wrong. Emotions aren't bad. But when we're led by our emotions, maybe even that have been triggered by the media, boy, we're going to go a wrong way. I've seen people just lose their minds on Facebook in response to a post that a person that put, Trump is the devil. Oh, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He might be Jesus himself. (laughs) Neither of those things are probably true, right? But our feelings can affect us. I heard this, right? Finally, the devil himself, we already learned earlier in this message, he has schemes, he has methods, he has ways that he tears us down. So, okay, what makes your knife sharp? If the media and our feelings and the devil himself is trying to give us a knife that butchers uh, what we're trying to do in life, how do we get a sharp knife like this one? Now, you're going to hear some stuff you have heard over and over and over and over again here at Radiant Life. And there's a reason why. Because we believe it. In our hearts as pastors and as a staff, our vision, our direction, the the way that we're leading this congregation is because we believe these things to be true. You need accountability. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. He's talking about people, right? Right? You ever had that conversation with someone that is like, "You can't talk to me that way. Who are you?" And then you go away and you realize, you know, what I do know about that person is that they love me. Maybe they said that because they love me. I'm accountable to them. If you're if you're married, if you're if you're a single person watching. Um, you probably have friends that, that speak this kind of truth into your life. If you're married, your spouse is that person that's telling you the hard things, right? And you're like, oh, that was sharp. <laughs> but you know a lot of times it's true. Guys, can you just raise your hand in the comments? Most of the time she's right. Can we just it, it, get it out of the way? Most of the time she's right. Not always. Lisa. Accountability is super important. It's going to sharpen your knife. Another thing is simply reading the Bible. Pastor Brandon has talked so much about this. It is in his blood, reading the Bible, right? But reading isn't enough. Engaging with the Bible. You've heard Pastor Brandon say this a bazillion times. He talks about engaging the scriptures. Okay, we're going to do this fast. I want to focus right here on the engagement. The Center for Bible Engagement. This is, a, this is an actual thing. Center for Bible Engagement. They conducted a study. They polled a ton of people, different denominations, men, women, that was ages 80 to 80 years old, and they were asking some very basic questions. Okay? How many times do you engage the Bible per week? Okay? So if you engage the Bible, this is what they found clear data. If you engage the Bible one time per week, what does that, that look like in real life? Well, right now. If you're a churchgoer who only comes on Sunday and you don't crack your Bible, that's, this is you. One time per week. If you're only watching Facebook or YouTube or Radio Life Church right now, this is you. One time per week. There will be no change in your life whatsoever. Literally none. So if you're fighting and struggling and feeling like your nose is just out of the water in life, are you engaging the Bible one time per week? What about two times per week? Well. Two times per week. Two times. So maybe you um, come on Sunday or you listen to a Facebook message like this, or, and then you have a verse of the day that you read. No change. Okay, so we're still flatlined right here. Beep, nothing's happening. Dead. Let's go to three times per week. Okay, we see a little tick. Up and to the right, a little tick, minimal change, right? Minimal change three times per week. Now, here's what the Center for Bible Engagement discovered. If you will engage with the Bible four times per week, real quick, how many days in the week are there? Seven, seven, right? So four is more than half of the week, right? So, more times than not in a week, if you are four times in the scriptures engaging with the Bible every week, watch what happens. I want everybody to to shake off whatever you're doing right now, and I want you to watch this and listen to me very carefully. I hope you, if you tune me out the rest of the time, please listen to this, listen to this. You are more likely, 228% more likely to share your faith if you engage in the Bible four times per week. You are 407% more likely to memorize scripture if you engage in the Bible four times per week. You are 230% more likely to disciple others. Those are all the awesome things that happens when you engage the Bible four out of seven days a week. Now watch this, less likely. You are 61% less likely to deal with pornography addiction. Men and women, women are the highest trending metric. You're 30% less likely to deal with loneliness in life. You're 32% less likely to struggle with anger. i got a whole other screen i got to show you, okay? You are 40% less, uh, uh, less relationship issues. If you're fighting with friends or family, kids, parents, spouses, 40% less struggle in your relationships if you'll engage in the Bible four times per week. You're 57% less likely to struggle with alcoholism. I'm going to look at the camera right now. If you're watching this and you're drinking too much, you know you are. It's not the beer after work. It's the five and six and seven. I see you right now and God sees you. He's speaking to you. If you will take the time to be accountable with other people, tell them what you're doing and engage in the Bible four times per week. I'll bet the farm, 57%, I'll bet bet the farm on that. You can see victory in your life Four times a week. You're 32% less likely to be angry. I think that was in the other slide. That's okay. Maybe that's something. 67% less sex outside of marriage. That's premarital sex with, with people who aren't married or people who are married to someone and having sex with another person. 67%. 67%. Guys, accountability, reading and engaging the Bible four times per week changes your life. It changes your life. So if you're watching and you're struggling, here's what I want to tell you. You can't fight with a dull knife. As the the Lord has been giving us this armor each week, and we're considering the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, how are you gonna sharpen that? How are you gonna sharpen your knife? How are you gonna fight with a dull knife? You saw how I butchered the tomato with this, this silly thing and how smoothly it cut with this knife. You can't fight with a dull knife. And I think a lot of you, that's what you've been doing. You've been, you've been spinning your wheels, you've been taking that dull knife and you've been just hacking away. Just hacking away at life, hurting people around you, not living into all that God has for you. Accountability, being in relationship with other people, reading the word of God, but engaging with the word of God, which is more than just reading. These are ways you can sharpen your knife. And don't forget, I'm going to say it again, you can't fight with a dull knife. So what, what's the point today? My challenge to you is to sharpen up. Stop going through life with this nonsense. Right? Pick up the word of God and begin to sharpen that edge. Begin to learn the word of God. Get into relationship with others. And we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask Pastor Brandon to just come on stage with me right now. I'm going to make some space for him right now. Uh, Pastor Brandon is our next steps in community pastor, he lives and breathes discipleship. It is in his DNA. It is in his blood. His heart for you as a viewer, and, and if you're a part of the family at Radiant Life Church, his heart for you is that you would see accountability, reading, and engagement. And I'm just gonna give him a couple minutes. I want him to talk about some ways at Radiant Life that we do that.
1: Yeah, I'm all emotional. <laughs> uh, he's right. When I've engaged the Bible in my own life, because I was going through life with the dull knife, and when my dad took the time to disciple me and to help me engage God's word every day, it has absolutely changed my life. I would not be standing here right now in this moment if I did not engage God's word at least four days or more. But you might be sitting there like, hey, I get it, I, I feel it. I, I'm, I'm feeling convicted in this moment but I don't know where to start. We want to help. Our Next Steps experience is an environment for you to to figure out what your next step is because we're all at different points in our journey. And so we haven't had the Next Steps experience uh, since we've been in quarantine and we've been working really, really hard behind the scenes to develop the Next Steps experience for an online version. And so I wanna encourage you, if you haven't finished the Next Steps, if you've never been to Next Steps, I wanna encourage you right now, you'll see a link down in the comments, but you can also head over to our website and under Next Steps, you'll see there, click on that and there'll be a button to sign up. Let's. Let us know that you're coming. We want to help you sharpen your knife. You know, another way that we do that is through life groups. Life groups have been essential in my life. I wouldn't be here with you brother if it wasn't for life groups. And so there's some groups that have been meeting right now and and some of them are starting to stop, but that doesn't mean we can't do life groups again. We engage God's word each week. We've been in the book of Ephesians as we've been talking about this armor of God. So if you need help, if you have questions, you come to a life group where other people are at different places in their walk and they can help you sharpen your sword. And so you'll see another link right now. You're going to fill out a form. It's going to be your first name, your last name, and your email. And I will get back to you as soon as I can. Now, I do want to say, if your spouse is, please sign up separately. It makes it a little easier to track, sort of thing. But just just click on that link right now and sign up. And let's engage God's Word together. Amen.
0: Granted, thank you. Thank you for pouring your life into that. Right? So I want to encourage you. Listen to what we just said. What you just heard from the word of God, this dull knife versus this sharp knife, and the ways that you can be a part of that next step and life groups. Do it now. Sharpen up. Don't go another day, another moment without, without being accountable, without reading the Bible and engaging the Bible. Sharpen up. I want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, I want to encourage you just to raise your hands right where you're at. Make a commitment to God right now. You're going to connect with Pastor Brandon. You're going to sign up. You're going to take that next step to make a change in your life today. To sharpen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, that we know right from wrong by simply opening this beautiful book that you've given us, Lord. God, I pray for everyone watching right now that's been tuning in to the Spirit series, the swat series, Lord, that you would take the, the garden of their life, Lord,